Hello, welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osman, here with my friend Chavruta and Gordon. Our daf today, Masachat Yuma daf Nun Aleph, page 51. The Gemara, uh, I won't start with the first, first, first thing that it talks about, but right before the Mishnah, the Gemara sort of wants to wrap up its discussion about Rabbi Eliezer's opinion about whether or not this chatas par, the chatas bull that the coin guzzle brings, uh, which remember two vidui's over. The first vidui is for him and his family, and the second vidui is for him, his family, and the B'nai Aharon, for all the Kohanim. So is that chatas considered to be a private offering, or is it considered to be, you know, somehow, let's say, owned uh, by, uh, you know, by the other Kohanim? And if that's the case, then it would actually, you know, there would be an issue about whether or not Tamura could take effect with this type of par. So the Gemara begins with this following. Fetipically, da asher lo, amarachmana, right? So the Pasuk, when it talks about this, uh, this particular chatas uh, par, right? So this is from Bayikra in uh, Perak Tetzayin. It uses the words asher lo, right? His own, his own, his own chatas par. So mishalohu maybe, meaning that the Kohen Gadol needs to bring it from his own money. And so now they're going to quote a brisa that discusses this more. Titania, as it was taught in a brisa, Asher Lo, right, his own chatas, uh, or, his, or of his own, Mishalu, who may be below Michel Tzibor. So the coin guzzle needs to bring it from his own money and not from the money of the Tzibor, right? All that money that we learned about from Shkolim, it can't come from the community treasury. Yacholoyavi Michel Tzibor. It might have been thought that he shouldn't bring it from the treasury of the community. Shane at Tzibor, Mitkaprinbo right? Because he, the community doesn't really seem atonement through this. Remember that Sibor is going to get atonement through the Seir, through the goat that's going to be brought later. But it's not through this chatas. This, the par chatas is for the Kohen Gadol, his immediate family, and all the B'nai Aram. But the Brisa continues to say, maybe the all the Kohanim should sort of chip in for the par, because all the Kohanim get kapara through it. So that's why the Pesach has to specifically specify a sherlo, right? To make it clear that the Kohen Gadol brings it from his money and not from all the Kohanim together. Right, so it might be thought that he shouldn't bring it from, you know, the community treasury or from his fellow Kohanim. But if he did bring it from these sources, we would think, okay, maybe it's still valid. Talmud Lomar, Shub Asherlo. But again, it says, right, it repeats the phrase Asherlo twice. And so therefore, it's really telling us, right? So it's making it by repeating it, by saying it twice, it's making it clear that this is an essential part of it, that that parchatas doesn't count unless it's actually brought from the Kohen Gadol's actual money himself. So then the question is, Rabbi Elezer, we know from the previous staff, had an opinion that um, maybe the Kohanim are actually partners in this Korban Chata. So the question is, how would that work according to Rabbi Elezer? The Lata make, according to your reasoning, right, that this, this par is owned only by the Kohen Gadol, a Chava Kohanim, concerning the, his other brothers, his other Kohanim, Elab Dekanu Begabe Hechi Machaper Lehu. If they have no share in it, how can there be any kapara for it? So they're asking the essential question. If you want to say it's only owned by the Kohen Gadol, how can you say that this brings kapara to the other Kohanim? Elashani Gaza, 
the Aharon. So therefore, you'll say, you have to say that Aharon, meaning Aharon's ownership, or really the coin Gadol's ownership, it's, it's uh, of this part is a little bit different, right? It's not regular, you know, Yachid ownership. Because basically the, 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 uh, it's sort of declared ownerless when it comes to his fellow Kohanim, and they actually do have some type of ownership. They're part of the partners, even though he actually buys it with his own money. So therefore, also with Tamura, I could say, Shani Bay Gaza de Aharon, right? That since the Aharon's ownership, meaning the coins Gadol's ownership, is different than regular ownership, so therefore, you know, it's considered ownerless with respect to his fellow Kohanim. And therefore, um, you know, since they're, so in other words, what they're basically saying is, is that sort of in one way, it kind of has part ownership and another way it doesn't have ownership and therefore it's not really subject to Tamura. Um, and so I don't know, again, if this is really a full line of reasoning, like they fully solve it. But I think what they're trying to point to here is that this particular khatas is a very unique khatas because it's bought by one individual's money, but yet at the same time, it can give kapara to a whole group of people. And there really isn't a khatas that works any other way, right? Like there has to be something about that you actually own it. You purchased it with your own money, but the B'nai Aaron don't, the other Kohanim don't need to actually purchase it. But yet we allow them to still have partnership in it. And I think, again, from what I'm seeing, I think this is unique to this particular um, Korban and, um, you know, shows us something that's unique about the Avoda of, of Yom Kippur itself. And I think also shows that sort of the Kohen Gadol is in this unique position. On the one hand, he's sort of singular throughout the day, but yet at the same time, he sometimes does act in partnership with others during the day as well. And so that's why you have this parchatas is sort of a very funny uh, korban. So I'm intrigued by what might be just a comparison in my own head, but I wonder if it's you know doable between the korban here and, for example, the big day kahuna, right? The garments that the coin Gadol wears, which are on the one hand the garments that he's wearing, so they're his, but they're really the garments of the office, right? And nobody else is ever going to wear those garments except for the next coin Gadol, right, I guess. I don't know if they make new ones each time, uh, meaning that's just beyond what I know. But but my point is that on the one hand, they are particular to him. On the other hand, there there is a communal element to them, right, because they are, well, I guess they're the really paid for by the community. So, all right, maybe it's not a good example, but but I'm trying to figure out, like, you know, are there other Kohen Gadol things that line up as parallel because he's in this position where, by virtue of his office, he himself is a communal, like, role, right? He's he's everything he's doing, even if it's also individual, he wouldn't be doing those same things if he were not in the role. Even the individual Kurbanot that he's doing, bringing to atone for himself, he still, he would not be bringing them at this time in this way were he not the Kohen Gadol. I think that's a really important point, right? It's not, he's not bringing it as an individual who sinned. He's bringing it as the Kohen Gadol who needs to do Kapara before he can do anything else for the day. Right, right, exactly. Well said, thank you. Um, okay, I'm going to go on. We have a Mishnah here. Um, 
And it's an interesting mission. It really gets into the history of the Bate Mikdash, of the two temples, and even the Mishkan. Haya, oh, that's the tabernacle, right? Before the, the temples. So the this is a you know kind of narrative. It's a description of how the Kohen Gadol would walk, he would walk west through the Heichal, that's the big sanctuary, until he gets to the area that is between the two curtains that separate between that Heichal, that big um a sanctuary area, and the Kodesh Kodeshim, the Holy of Holies. Uvenehen Amah. And the the space there between them is an Amah. Now, we always talk about Dalet Amot, right? Like the personal space in Halacha is basically four Amot. And we say that's about, I mean, you have different people saying how much that is in measurement, but let's say six to eight feet. Yeah, is that fair, Yordina? Yeah, I think that's correct. So an ama, the measurement of, of an ama is basically, it's a measurement of your forearm, right? Like the same way that feet used to actually be measured by people's feet. So the ama is a measurement of, let's say, from the elbow to the tip of the of the um, middle finger, something like that. Now, you know, nowadays we have everything standardized. That's not by a given person's measurement. So this must have been some kind of, you know, on average, ama. Um, it's not very large is really the point I'm trying to make. Meaning Dalit Amot, these four, six to eight feet, we all know now what, you know, what six feet is, right? Because of uh, Corona and distancing. So we know that this is a fourth of that. It's not very far. It's not a big distance. Um, there's not a lot of space there. Um, and then, and this is where I find it to be just fascinating. Rabbi Yossi Omer, Lo Hetasham Bilvad. He says, there weren't two curtains. What do you mean there were two curtains? There was only one curtain. He's quoting a verse from Shemot. In the Mishnah, he says, there's only one curtain because in the verse it says, the curtain will divide between the Heichal and the Kodesh Kodeshim. So where are you getting these two curtains? The Mishnah doesn't say anything beyond that. That is the Mishnah, meaning it opens with two curtains. It closes with Ribiosi's opinion that there's one curtain. And then we have Gemara. And I find, I don't know, Yerdin, if you agree with me, but I find this to be just a very striking Mishnaic presentation. Like, it's not what I would expect to find here. Well, it sort of feels cut off in a way. <laughs> yes. And one yes. thing I meant to do, which I didn't do, was looking in a printed Mishnah, if because... Um, how the Mishnahs are, like, in a printed edition of Mishnah is a little bit different than in the Gemara itself, like in the Talmud, like sometimes they'll lump two Mishnayos together. That's what I see more often. I don't think this is cut in half, but it sort of like ends with like a real cliffhanger. Well, what I find interesting is that the next Mishnah, which is, you know, on uh, Nun Bet Amun Bet, is when we come to the next Mishnah, it talks about the outer curtain and the inner curtain, meaning it kind of just carries on you know, bye, Rebiosi, we're not going to listen to you, right? And because it, it, then, so, you know, it's just going to go on and talk about the two, the two curtains. Um, so we'll get to that. But in the meantime, the Gemara takes this seriously and it talks about Rebiosi's position. Rebiosi is saying a good thing and he's speaking well in his, in his address to the Rabbanan. He's giving solid support. He's got a He's got a pasuk, right? He's got a verse. What else? What else could he possibly want? Um, Rabbanan Amrilach Hani Mile Mishkan. 
So Rabbanan can answer him also and say, well, yes, Rabbi Yossi, the one curtain was in the Mishkan because everything in Shemot, everything in the Torah is describing the Mishkan, not the Beit HaMikdash, because there is no Beit HaMikdash yet, right? They're only ever, you know, taking down and putting up the the tabernacle in the Midbar, right, in the wilderness. In the second Beit HaMikdash, in the second temple, which is an interesting word, we'll come back to that, of Mikdash Rishon, who the the Havai ve istap kalahul rabanan bekedushte e kalafnim u kalachutz va avud shte parachot. So now it explains what happens. So we have here in the in Bayachini in the second temple there was no um, that that ama that measurement was not there. There's no partition of that measurement. Traxin. So again, I saw the notes, my, my favorite uh, Steinthal's edition notes that give us like linguistic analysis and archaeological evidence and things like that. So it says, this is a Greek term, but there's no direct term in Greek that lines up with the word traxine. So they try to figure out, does it mean, you know, I don't know, I can't read the Greek, right? But is it a word that means a guard or an overseer? Or was it maybe a, a smush of two different words, one meant inside and one meant outside? which might actually make the most sense, right? In terms of the fact that that's where it is. You've got an ama that is literally the divider between the inside and the outside. And a third idea was that maybe it means something, a, a term that is like closing or locking. But in any case, we've got here, just the claim is that they didn't have that ama in Bayat Shani. So that there was no kind of, I don't know, I don't want to call it no man's land because it's obviously a very important division, right? But the ama of a division between the Kodesh Kodeshim and the Heichal. So really, it was only in Bayat Rishon that they had this there. And then, because it was Bayat Rishon, the Chachamim here, the sages, are not sure, right? They're not sure what the Kedusha status of that Ama was. Is it Kadosh in the way that Kodesh Kodeshim is Kadosh? Is it like the inside? Or does it have the sanctity of the outside of the Hecha, which is still more Kadosh than, you know, my apartment, but it's not as Kadosh as a Kodesh Kodeshim. And because they're not sure, right, it seems to be that this is the rationale, they set up two curtains to make sure that the that this ama is set off um, to make it clear that this is an uncertain status of more or less kadosh. You know, I always am taken by where we see, first of all, these differences between by Rishon and by Cheney. Right. And it's clear that the Mishnah over and over again is always more of a reflection of what happened in Bayachani, which makes sense because, you know, they're already removed from Bayachani and they can't necessarily always get everything correct. I don't want to say correct. They're not always sure and are trying to reconstruct something. So for sure, that would be the case with Bayachani. But to think about that, the real inner part there between the Hechal and the Kodesh Kadoshim was different between Bayachani and Bayachani is really interesting. It's a little mind-boggling. I mean, I, I don't, I don't really know how they managed it, right? It's hard enough to imagine that they built this edifice, and you know, if you've seen any, I don't know, reconstructions, whatever, of the Beit Hamikdash, they're all glorious, right? So the architecture of this to begin with, and the design, and making sure that you can, I don't know, move those big stones, you know, like it's a huge undertaking for by Rishon when they were at peace. And they and Shlomo HaMelech had tons of bazillions of people to do the labors. But when they come back and try to and and start building for Bayat Shani, 
I feel like it's it's almost a bigger undertaking, meaning it's not quite the same thing as creating something from nothing because they have the model to go on. But it's 70 years later. They don't re- like it's it's not like meaning until they get everything going, it takes a long time to build by it. Cheney, right. It's not it's not a simple thing. No, but. I think it's only 70 years. I don't know. It, it's just interesting to see that 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 piece was lost. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Revenue Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talent Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. 